What's up, everybody? Ryan back again with another episode of the ATX Metal Podcast. And in today's episode, which I'm titling... <laughs> Shitty FX. Anyway, Jared, the young one, ha- reached out to Jared Smith of Heliocentric. Uh, he's actually a one-man band, so everything that is put out by Heliocentric is all done by Mr. Jared Smith. This guy's interview was just amazing the conversation i actually got lost in the editing portion of this i just was listening back and actually got lost in the episode and forgot i was actually supposed to be qaqc in this but the conversation was so good and my dude titan audio taylor anderson he he did a bang-up job with the audio again as always so shout out to him but shout out to the jareds this is man this episode was great there's so much information packed in this And like Jared said in the interview, you could talk to other Jared for hours and and just keep going. And I could totally understand where he's coming from. Uh, So I'll just shut my mouth and let you get to the interview. But we can't get to the interview just yet because we got to think. Come and take it productions and come and take it live. Shout out to those guys there, man. We couldn't do this without y'all. And if you're interested in getting your set live streamed, we actually offer that service as well. You can head over to our YouTube channel and check out the live streams that we have up right now. Don't forget to subscribe and hit that little bell notification so when we post new stuff, you'll get notified. Just like with this podcast. Wherever you get your podcast from, subscribe. So whenever these things hit the library, they're automatically downloaded. But anyway, super stoked about this interview. Sorry to ramble. Here you go. What's up, guys? Jared here, ATX Metal Podcast, coming at you with another episode of Have You Heard? Today, we have a very interesting band, a one-man band, Heliocentric. We have Jared Smith with Heliocentric. Tell us a little about yourself, Jared. Well, as the other Jared, I I consider myself the knockoff Jared, the inferior Jared. And see, I'm like, I'm not even on my own turf. Like, everyone knows you as the Jared, and now I'm just, you know, some scrub coming along trying to steal your clout as the Jared, the nerve, the nerve of me. You're probably older than me, so it's it's okay. You can be the original Jared. <laughs> Fair enough. Like I said, I, I'm the young one. I'm only 23, so. Oh, man, I got three years on you. Dang. Dang. And your beard, I mean, it's like, I know that you guys can't see this, but I mean, it's just voluptuous. God. I really, I appreciate that. That's all I got going for me. I shaved my head today, though, so that's, really? that's something. Yeah. I, oh, dang. I decided... I'm done with hair, so I shaved it all off and spent $70 on hats. Amen. People can't see this, but it's okay. Um, anyway, <laughs> t- <laughs> tell us a little bit about Heliocentric, what the project is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, my name is Jared Smith. I'm a one-man band called Heliocentric. Two albums and an EP deep. And uh, and yeah, it's been a good ride, man. So this this most recent album, Ishmael, mm-hmm. um, goes goes along with your undergrad thesis or master's thesis. Undergrad, unfortunately, I don't have that many IQ points. Um, so the the gist of the story is that 
I had the opportunity to make a 11 song metalcore album as my senior thesis paper. So it's it's kind of a long and crazy story, but in undergrad, I just graduated about a year ago. I studied interdisciplinary studies. So I combined theology, ancient languages, and digital audio engineering with my senior project being to write and record a heavy metal album discussing the three Abrahamic religions and the violence um, inflicted between them. And accompanying the 11-song album was a 93-page research paper um, cataloging the lyrics, explaining the themes of the album, and also doing some research into the theme of sacrifice and how it correlates to the story of Isaac, Ishmael, and Abraham. So it was a doozy. But yeah, so like the, the gist of it was um, I turned in a metal album to my professors to to get my degree. <laughs> what? I can't even imagine. Like, what was what was their reaction? Like, what was that like? Like, I, I'm sure you 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 prefaced them by saying, "Hey, I'm gonna do this," or was it like completely blind? So, also keep in mind the the college that I went to was a Christian college. I went I went to Wheaton um, up near Chicago, and so I mean, just like everything about this was so wildly foreign to all of my professors, and, and luckily my professors were absolutely amazing. So, like interdisciplinary studies at the at the school is the only major that you have to actually apply for so you can't just like declare i'm an interdisciplinary studies major you have to go through an application process you have to tell you have to write a whole bunch of crap about like what your proposal is and the project that you want to do so i had to get it approved and my i had to pitch to a whole bunch of like old christian professors like hey can i write this satanic sounding metal music and us, I think it was a panel of like a dozen or so professors. They like reviewed it. They looked over it and they were like, yeah, sounds legit. And so, I mean, like, I don't know. It, it's crazy. Like I was, I was blown away because every step of the way, everyone was super supportive. <laughs> they were bewildered by it. They were like, what the hell is this? But they were all really kind and, and really helpful. Did you like get any pushback from it or was it just, they were all pretty, pretty for it. Like none of them tried to sway you one direction or another. <laughs> There was pushback, but not for it being a metal album. Oh, wow. Interestingly enough, uh, there was like no hesitation with that. And that was actually like, you know, hats off to the school. I was afraid that I might be looked down on as a as a metal kid. But the school has a, uh, a large emphasis on like cultural diversity, which, you know, it's like, OK, but does that extend to the metal community? How culturally <laughs> diverse are we really? Um but somehow, some way, yeah, they they were totally okay with that. The the issues that like came up, and they weren't like anything major, but like, so I released a couple of singles prior to the album releasing. So I did all of the photography for the album art as well. And for the for the song Never Again, the album art is a guy who has a darker skin tone and he's got like all these keys dangling off of him. And my professor was like, red flags. We don't know like if this is like trying to make a statement about like black Americans and slavery. We don't know. Like, like it's too ambiguous. Um, so I actually had to leave that picture out of the project. And then of course the, uh, after I explained it to him, he was like, okay, I, I, I get the meaning behind it that it's about the Palestinians and the Israelis, but the actual album art for Ishmael, it was, yeah, that, that gave them pause. 
they were like, this is definitely giving us Baphomet vibes. And I, I had to break it down and explain like, no. And a huge chunk of my paper was explaining the album art and the meaning behind it. So, but once I, you know, kind of uh, massaged their fears down, it was, it was all green lights. So what point in your college career did you come to this point where you, you wanted to do a metal album? Was it from the get-go when you started college or? No, 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 no. So I came to Wheaton in particular because I wanted to study ancient languages. And I realized very quickly that I have the intelligence of a underbaked potato. <laughs> so uh, I got about two years into my ancient languages degree and was like, crap, I've really like boxed myself in. I've gotten too deep into this major. I feel kind of trapped. I don't know what to do. I hate this. Um, and then the idea of interdisciplinary studies came up and it was kind of like an appealing offer. Like, wait a second, what if I combined ancient languages, like the little knowledge that I do already have, and then kind of spun it in like an artistic endeavor. And yeah, that kind of ended up being like my social savior, right? Because I mean, I, I really was miserable as an ancient languages major. And then this opportunity kind of fell into my lap and like, oh my God, my college career has meaning again. It's something that I can enjoy and like actually be proud of. It became sort of a passion project, if you would. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, gosh, man, I would have wanted to, I would have wanted to blow my brains out if I was like, if my senior thesis had just been like, Looking at the correlation between um, the Arabic word for greatness and the Hebrew word for divination and its cultural, like, nobody's going to read anything like that. Like, I wanted to make something that I could be proud of and that people would actually want to hear or read or listen to. And that major gave me this. Yeah. And, you know, like, I, I read through your your thesis over the last couple of days um, and it was it was impressive. Like this is the first time I don't even read my own college papers. <laughs> like I've written like sixteen page, twenty page college papers. I don't even read them. But like <laughs> something about yours, it was just so engaging and how I really like the structure of it. Uh, first of all, and thank you, man. We'll have to pl you'll we'll have to plug your merch store later so people can read. You know, they can purchase your thesis and read it uh, because I know you do, I know you do sell copies of it. Um, I do, but it, it was so engaging and, and the way it was structured was really interesting how, you know, I, the point, and I actually really want to hear you talk about it that I really enjoyed reading was your time in the Holy lands. Hmm. Um, hmm. so tell us a little bit about that. Was that before this album was, was an idea or was that part of it? Yeah. So, I mean, <sighs> You know, depending on how I spin it, I can make it sound either like really cool or really lame. The really cool sounding thing is like, I went to the Middle East and I sat underneath rabbis, imams, and priests in order to understand the 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 conquests between these three faiths. And it's like, in reality, it was a study abroad program, right? Like, <laughs> that's the uncool way of saying it. No, but it was like, it was not an ordinary study abroad program we were i i lucked out like i didn't know what i was signing up for when i went there so we were stationed in amam jordan uh, i'm sorry amman jordan but then it was only like 20 of us so we had like the ability to be super mobile 
Um, so we also did trips to Israel, Palestine, Morocco, and Egypt, which like in a four month span, dude, I mean, it's, it's neck breaking. That's a lot to, yeah, that's a lot to take in. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Ishmael was already like in the works. Like I had already been accepted to the interdisciplinary studies program, um, and was like using the Middle East opportunity to do my research. And so I went into it kind of like the project from its onset looked kind of different than the way it ended up being. I got really hung up on the question of Abraham in like the the biblical story and the way that his story is told differently between Islam, Christianity and Judaism, specifically the episode where he is for those who have any like faith background, the the story goes that Abraham is told by God to take his child up to a mountain and slaughter him as a sacrifice. And it's like, what the heck? So what's interesting about that, though, is Jews and Christians say that the child that he was supposed to sacrifice was Isaac, who is like one of the patriarchs of, of Judaism. Muslims say that it was Isaac's older brother, Ishmael, who is said to be the father of the Arabs and said to be like one of the forefathers of, of Islam before Muhammad. And so there's like so many different weird, oh man, so many different weird lenses to look at, look at that story through. But yeah, it, it, it was absolutely insane. Like getting to kind of pick people's brains in the Middle East where like religion and the way that it's like practiced and experienced is wildly different. I mean, whether you're talking about Judaism, Christianity, or Islam, just like the way that they do religion over there is so radically different from how it's done here in the States. And, and it feels usually on average more authentic or, or like more visceral. Um, and, and it was a really cool experience. And, and, it's just, it's a lot to take in, man. Like it's it, 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 when I was when I was reading through your your thesis, it was like the the parts where you were talking about being in war torn cities and and in the rubble. Like it, it's it's moving. And and mm -hmm. how how did you take those experiences and translate them into your album? Kind of talk a little bit more about that um, yeah. aspects of the album and where where did some of the the tracks come from in 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 your experiences. Yeah, man. So one of the big things that I was insanely grateful for with my trip there is my professors were just like loaded up on connections. So, I mean, we, we got to sit and talk to some very high ranking people on both sides of the conflict. Well, I, you say both sides regarding Israel and Palestine, but then there's plethoras of different situations and, and hosts of people who have different opinions on that. I mean, for them, it's not just a scholarly pursuit. It's a visceral thing felt, right? So like, I remember we were in the town of Bethlehem, like the biblical town of Bethlehem, right? It's a modern thriving city. Well, I can't say thriving, but it's, it's a modern city. We sat and listened I mean, small group, like 20 kids sitting in a room um, and giving a lecture was a Palestinian man who had his daughter killed by the Israeli Defense Force, the Israeli military. They just mowed her down by mistake. Um, sitting next to him was his good friend who was a Jewish man 
an Israeli citizen whose daughter was blown up by Hamas. And I mean, it, it, like you can't put words to how like dumbfounding and beautiful and tear like like gut wrenching the situation was, but somehow these two men had been able to work through their irreconcilable differences and genuinely develop a friendship despite looking at each other previously as like you murdered my daughter you the other killed my daughter it's like how how do you work through something like that and so i mean i mean my my hope is that i, I mean realistically like you, you can't you can't touch that with art um and i certainly can't with my you know pitiful attempt at art um but like my the thing that i'm striving for is like i i want i want my work to feel that visceral right because like <laughs> i i was listening to the uh the podcast that you did with you'll have to remind me their name the last band no wise wise man's the wise the wise man's fear the wise man's fear um super cool dudes by the way like oh they were awesome dude, i'm jealous that i wasn't in on that conversation <laughs> Um, yeah, they were, they were such cool, cool guys. Very, very interesting to talk definitely. to. But I, I remember one of them mentioning like, yeah, the reason why we're into fantasy core and the reason why we write about all this like zany crap is, uh, you know, because we're white guys from suburbia. Like we don't have like anything in our own lives that like matches the intensity of this music. Um, but fiction does. Um, and I'm the exact same way, man. It's like. Dude, I, yeah, white suburbia, man. That's, I'm not, I'm not going to waste the opportunity to, uh, like thrash around some music, uh, to bitch and moan about my own stuff, man. But like hearing these stories, um, and getting to talk to some of these people, it's like, I, I want people to, to feel the weight of that, um, and to wrestle with it. And so, one of the kind of like themes um, in this album and hopefully in, in my music at large, I have a lyric in my song, Never Again. And it was a quote from one of my professors. And he said, there's no view from nowhere. And he would say that at least once a class period. And he was so damn good at, at explaining that and like fleshing that out with his lectures. So, you know, we would be talking about the issues in Syria, we would be talking about uh, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, Jews, Muslims, Christians, the, the whole gamut. And he would be so painstakingly careful to explore like, now why do the other guys, why do the bad guys think this way? And that's become like one of the most important things to me is I, I want to, as far as I'm able, give voice to all sides of the issues and the conflicts because it, it's never history is never divided into good guys and bad guys except by hindsight um people are people they have human needs human impulses human responses to things and that's what grabs my interest and i think that that makes for better art and and like you had talked about in your in your paper like 
you right. look at pop music and it's love songs and happy, you know, <laughs> dance music. Country music is kind of a little bit sad. But whereas with with metal or heavier music, hardcore punk, it's it's social issues. It's these these really deep subject matters yeah. that that you can't you can't write a happy song about, right? And I feel like this album was a really good way to not personify that, but to to I really don't know what word to use to to really emphasize what it's like to be in these situations and to kind of build on what you're talking about. Nobody is really the bad guy. You know, right. no matter what side you're on to yourself, you're the good guy. You know, you're doing what you believe is right. Mm-hmm. And that's what leads to all these conflicts that we see, you know, in, in the Middle East and, you know, all over the world. So I, I feel like just like listening to your album, it, it's a really good way to it, it puts it into perspective, you know, what what these other groups are are dealing with and and you know this religion believes xyz where this religion is pdq yeah. but they come from the same place right yeah no it's it's crazy um one of the uh one of the books that we had to read as a precursor to going on the trip um was a book uh by elias shakur is i think how you pronounce his name and his book was called blood brothers and uh, it, it was his experience as a Palestinian Christian, and he's he's now a, a priest in the in the Orthodox um, Christian community. But like he spends a lot of time reflecting on his youth, which is absolutely hellish. I mean, just like casually stumbling upon a mass grave when playing soccer. You know, it's like God, man. But but he talks about like how tragic that is that. This, this is supposed to be the holy lands and no it's hell on earth i mean currently like it you know it obviously fluctuates and and but like yeah the the level of insanity that's happened there the the amount of bloodshed it's god it's hard and it, it's <laughs> reading through your paper which i i implore people listening to this that they they read through it like it really puts into perspective, you know, like the the first time I listened to this album, you know, I didn't really have I didn't have the lyrics in front of me. I was just like, oh, this is a really cool concept album with a really cool story behind it. Like and it's a, it's great music. You know, you're a one man band. It's impressive. Um, but once you get the story behind things and and all the stuff that you went through, you know, the process of writing it, that kind of thing, it, it puts it takes it to a different level. Yeah. And I kind of want to talk about your lyrics for a little bit. One of the songs, and it's it's the second track on the song, that reading through the lyrics and your footnotes, you jump from mm-hmm. like the Bible to the Quran, each footnote. So what was it like when it came to your lyrics? How were you doing it? Like, what were you, were you just writing what came to mind? Or did you have a reference idea of, I want to write a song based on, you know, Gabriel, for example? Yeah, so... That song, Gabriel, I knew that I wanted to write a song analyzing the correlation between the Prophet Muhammad and the Virgin Mary, which like for anybody who, you know, isn't super acquainted, well acquainted with Islam, that that sounds like a bizarre comparison, right? Like why, why Muhammad and Mary rather than Muhammad and Jesus and you know, it, it, if you're far removed from Islam, it, it's like you kind of lump 
or, or maybe, you know, if, if you're far removed from G from Christianity, you lump Jesus in with all the other great faith teachers. It's like, Oh, Buddha, Muhammad, Jesus, Abraham. And it's like, uh, it, it's easy to gloss over that and think that each of those characters fulfills the same role in their respective religions. When in actuality, it's like, no, no, Buddha and Jesus and Muhammad play radically different roles in their respective religions. So it, in in the case of Christianity, Jesus wasn't just the central prophet of Christianity. He was God incarnate, but but even that's too too quick of a leap. I mean, there's this huge emphasis placed on Jesus being the word of God, right? It's this weird mystical concept of like the logos, which was a, you know, a Greek philosophical concept before it was implemented into the Bible. But like, it's tricky because Christians and Muslims both call the Bible and the Quran respectively the word of God, right? For Christians, it's doubly weird because Jesus is the word of God and the Bible is the word of God. But what they each mean by that are two radically different things, right? Like Christians don't believe that the Bible was eternally existent before it was written down by the prophets. That's not the case with Muslims. Muslims, according to Orthodox thought, believe that the Quran existed right alongside with Allah from eternity past. I, I mean, like the, the, the Quran is far more divine in the eyes of Muslims than the Bible is to Christians. And so keeping that in mind, then th- this comparison between Muhammad and Mary, it, it starts to make a little bit more sense. It's like, okay, well, where did humanity receive the word of God? Well, in the case of Christianity, the word of God was birthed through a person, through the womb of Mary. In the case of the Quran, in Islam, the Quran, the word of God, was given to the prophet Muhammad. Now, this is where things get weird, though. According to um, Islamic tradition and according to the Bible, it was the angel Gabriel who was the one who bestowed the word of God onto the prophet or prophetess. It probably isn't accurate to characterize Mary as a prophetess, but, but the point being, they were the conduits for the word of God. And Gabriel was a conduit for the word of God to Mary and Muhammad. So Gabriel comes to Muhammad over the course of his life and delivers unto him, uh, the Quran over, over several years. And then in the case of Mary, Gabriel comes and announces to her that she will bear the word of God. And it's, it's this weird comparison where there's like, you experience, you, you can see like the terror in Muhammad and you can also see it in Mary. You can see like the blissful euphoria in Muhammad in, in reacting to the Quran. And you can also see it in the prayers of Mary in like reflecting on these joys that she treasured up in her hearts, as she says. And so my hope in highlighting that is to kind of give a little bit of, you know, I'm not trying to convert anyone to Islam or, or, or from Islam to Christianity, I don't think, but, but I do hope that there's like, you know, we're not getting, we're not getting anywhere by speaking past each other. Like, like 
you 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 need to understand this stuff properly if you want to have an opinion or or, or you know you you want to have a, a a dialogue with somebody. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm rambling. That was <laughs> you were asking about the lyrics, yeah. So I knew that I wanted to to write some stuff about that, and, and then it was more of a process of like, all right, let's see what the Islamic literature says about Muhammad receiving the 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 Quran from Gabriel and let's see what the bible says about Mary and then there's even a little bit of crosstalk because Mary is mentioned in the Quran she even has an entire chapter a surah devoted to her which like a, a lot of christians don't even realize that there's any like overlap with the characters in the bible and in the Quran but the Quran tends to see itself as like the third testament right there's the old testament the new testament and here's the refined finished final version which is the quran it's an oversimplification but yeah <laughs> and it, it's it, this is one of those things like <laughs> i could listen to you talk about this like all day <laughs> like this is so interesting to me <laughs> and i'm sure like our listeners probably don't want to hear you talk about it all day but i do <laughs> this is so interesting to me sure so like we're gonna completely switch gears here um musically what were what were your inspirations for this album? What were you trying to do? Kind of one of those four fans of kind of questions. Like what was what was your your biggest inspirations or aspirations, if you would, for this album? Definitely, definitely. So um, for anybody who's already familiar with my music or my social media following, uh, look up at Heliocentric Band on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. And I'm going to interrupt you for sure. a second because I have to add the memes that you post on your Instagram page <laughs> are so good. <laughs> but okay, <laughs> continue. I appreciate the frick out of you, man. Yeah, for, for anybody who's already familiar with my stuff, I am an unabashed uh, Silent Planet knockoff, which is all the less funny if like any of your listeners don't know who Silent Planet is, but they're, they're a metalcore band with like a very strong ambient feel. Um, and they've been like my bread and butter that I've been listening to for the past decade. And it's like everything I do, I'm just trying to knock them off, knock off them. So, um, in addition to that, like I, I, I took some inspiration from some like weird places. My favorite movie is the horror movie hereditary. Oh, wow. I, dude, I, I want to write music like that movie was directed. I, I mean, it's, it's a masterpiece. But the the score in that movie, it's it's this weird, like hellish cacophony. And the guy who composed it mostly wrote it with saxophone. You would never guess it. But yeah. like, it, I mean, he he's this brilliant producer and was able to like transform these weird like saxophone squeakings into this beautifully hellish uh, soundscape. Um, and so there was a couple of parts on the album where like, you know, it's it's got some interludes, and uh, I, I took some inspiration from that. There's also an older band. They're they're much lesser known now, but back in the day, they were like they were the shiz. Um, a band by the name of Ple a plea for purging. A lot of their riffs to this day are still like some of the catchiest riffs I've ever heard. So they had an influence, and then of course Mushuga, because you you can't play an eight string. It's right behind me. You guys can't see it, but there's a there's a big old beautiful. Ibanez eight string behind me, and you know you can't play that thing without giving homage to uh, the the granddaddies of extreme metal. 
Yeah, and you know the the album has some 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 genty goodness <laughs> in it. You know, there's some some good some I'm good inspiring genty uh, boy. What can I say? You can't not have modern metal without some <laughs> some little gents. Just pepper on the gents. Just little gents here, little gents there. Yeah, little, little salt bay. You know, I'm doing the salt bay motion. Nobody can see it. Um, so, as a one man band, like you know, obviously you're playing the guitar. When it came to your other your other production aspects, you know, your drums, bass, what have you. Was that you too, or did you? How did you do? How'd you go about doing that? So the bass is real. Yeah, the pl- played and tracked that in my college apartment. Um, as I was, <laughs> that was the thing. Like COVID worked so well in my favor. I, I'm ashamed to say because, like, yeah, everyone got sent home except for like me and five other kids. So I had the entire campus to myself, which meant that I didn't get any noise complaints when I screamed in my apartment building. You know, tracking stuff for my senior project. But yeah, so so the bass was was tracked, the vocals were tracked, the drums were sampled. I, I will never live down the shame of not being able to play the drums myself, but but otherwise, yeah. And then the production stuff was I was fortunate enough to get to mix and master it this time around. And and that was really fun and a really big learning experience. And it's one of those things though, like, yeah, the drums may be sampled, like, oh well, but you're a one man <laughs> band, you know, like you, you can't do everything. <laughs> So we'll give you that one, right? <laughs> well, there's that guy from like what is it, Leapfrog Studios? I don't, I don't know his name, but uh, he's a oh, he's a yeah. savant like that man. He can he can play everything, and he he kills it. So one day I'll be like him. So so with this, like, is this a is this a project of you ever want to be able to tour? Like, do you want to have a backing band at some point, or is this just you don't really want to play shows? It's just one of those fun projects, if you would, dude. I'll, I'll be straight. I know that a lot of kids like grow up dreaming of like, yeah, one day I'm going to be on stage in front of like a million people and like, ah. and that was, that was my dream for all of about like five minutes. But the way that I experienced music growing up, like I didn't go to a ton of shows. I mean, I've, I've, you know, had my fair share, but like music was always just me jamming out in my bedroom. And like, it's way more meaningful to me to think of, somebody interacting with my music by like you know putting on some headphones and like reading along with the lyrics like that means the world to me that that's more yeah that that's more important to me that being said though as far as live shows i've thrown around the idea of of doing live shows i think it's i don't think it's impossible part of it is just like i'm lazy and i don't want to like have to worry about like assembling a whole band that just sounds like super cumbersome. So the dream uh, for all of you listeners um, is if like a group of four other musicians came up to me one day and they were like, hey, uh, we learned all your songs and uh, we have these tour dates already set up. So uh, here's a microphone. Uh, come with us if you want. Um, yeah, that'd be, that'd be my dream. I'd, I'd do that. <laughs> you just want somebody else to do it. Yeah, basically. Basically. You know... I can't, I can't blame you, right? Like you wrote an entire forty-minute album by yourself, all the while going to college and making a hundred-page paper. I don't blame you. It's ah oh man, I don't know. Just dealing with like the promoters and everything, and like having to deal with band dynamics. That just sounds so painful. I hear. I mean, like hats off to the bands that are able to like do it. But just, 
I don't know, the first like five years of a band where it's like, oh, the guitar player's out. He got pissed because the drummer like slept with his girlfriend. And then, oh, oh the bass player, we switched him out with his twin brother because he, uh, I don't know, we drank all of his beer. It's like, I don't want to deal with that, man. I just want to play music and write music and read philosophy and theology and stuff. Yeah, and it, it kind of circles back to being a, you know, sort of a passion project. It's, yeah. It's it, not so much of you want to make a career out of it or, you know, want to make millions of dollars doing it. But oh, no, I didn't say that. Well, you know. Oh, no, I definitely want to make a career out of it and definitely oh, want to no. make millions of wa- mi- millions of dollars from it. But, well, uh... <laughs> You don't want to be, t- but you don't want to be touring like Meshuggah playing, you know, <laughs> two hundred thousand plus shows. Gosh, man, I will still say this: that I've I've been to some of the biggest mosques, cathedrals, um, synagogues in the world, but a Meshuggah concert was still one of the most religious experiences <laughs> of my life. Dude, there's there's not anything like it, man. You could be like tripping on ayahuasca out in the desert with a uh, with a, a guru, but like it, it's nothing compared to a Meshuggah light show. I've I've never had the pleasure of seeing Meshuggah. Oh no! Unfortunately, like I've never seen Meshuggah. I've always wanted to, um, but I can I can kind of relate to all the light shows. I've seen the, I've seen the Flaming Lips. I saw the Flaming Lips play here in Austin at an outdoor show to thirty five thousand people. Dang. And that was a religious experience for me. Jeez, man. Yeah, I that's that's one of my big griefs in life is I've never been to like a festival like that. That sounds amazing. Yeah, and that's that's just, you know, to kind of brag about Austin a little bit. That's just the things <laughs> we get to enjoy, right? Like, you know, pre-2020, um, Gosh. you know, South by Southwest every single year. The one, Josh, our colleague, he works, he does stuff with South by Southwest. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, and if you ever get an opportunity to travel to Austin, like, obviously let us know. Like, oh, dude, in a heartbeat. Even if, even if we're not doing a show or anything like that, <laughs> like, I just want to sit and talk with you and listen to you talk about this album for three hours. I got a couch you can sleep on. <laughs> Dude, this is everything I've ever dreamed of. <laughs> Couches, conversations. Hopefully beer will be involved. Oh, if so, I'm there. Of course. We're of course. we're gonna have lots of local Texas beer. Uh, Native. The people can't see this. Native Texan Native by Independence Texan. Brewing Company. Um they're You're a local a Pilsner beer. guy. I uh, I just like beer, man. Hey, that's fair. <laughs> but no, like like seriously, we tell this to every band we, we talk to, we tell them like you have to come to Austin because <laughs> it, it's just like we're i'm gonna kind of backtrack a little bit like if you were boring we wouldn't want to talk to you right like <laughs> like if your music was bad like <laughs> but you know talking about location we never talked about you know where are you you went to school in indiana illinois one of the oh, midwestern uh, near states. chicago yeah illinois okay so illinois where where did you grow up so i am born and raised in down south north carolina um oh yeah man like deep out in the sticks uh there's a whole bunch of like goat fields surrounding my parents house it's it's a doozy so two of the guys uh ryan and josh both Mm -hmm. from north carolina no joke (laughs) um and then the last band we interviewed basilica they were a north carolina band what (laughs) so (laughs) north carolina i i feel like 
I mean, the scene is in there. It's not dying. It's in a little bit of a recession. It's okay. It's going to come back. It's all going to be okay. We're going to get, we're going to make our way through this. It's going to be all right. Um, but back in the day, dude, North Carolina was like a hub of, I, I mean, there were some huge concerts that took place like in North Carolina and just like the mosh pits and the crowd serving that took place here. Like in talking to some of the the bands that would come through, they would be like, yeah, man, this was, this was a close call. Like we, we've toured to, you know, 15, 20, 30 states. And uh, this, this might've been the best show that we've had. Um, and, and I had multiple conversations like that. Something about that, like angsty deep South blood just really came to, came to bubble over in a, in a mosh pit. Yeah, and, and when we interviewed the last band Basilica, they were talking about that there was some, you know, in the in the hardcore scene, and I think it was Asheville. There's like a venue that was just this dude's grandma's basement, <laughs> <laughs> and it was like hard. <laughs> it was like hardcore and metal shows just going down in this dude's basement. Um, what the it was fuck like is the up, place. <laughs> exactly it was the place to be it was this, this grandma's basement oh and like my gosh she, she would come down and like check it out and like dude i part of me wishes i've been able to experience that because like you know i grew up in ohio so i grew up in the midwest in mm-hmm. a tiny little town old steel town there was nothing there <laughs> and like the music i grew up on was you know, classic rock mm-hmm. and stuff like that you know ohio has the rock and roll hall of fame and we had um, Michael Stanley, who he just passed away last week. He was a Cleveland cl- classic rock icon. Mm. You ask anybody, we'll say 45, 50 plus of age mm-hmm. that was grew up in Ohio, they knew Michael Stanley. Wow. It's like that was the stuff that I grew up on. So I never got to experience the like raw, visceral energy yeah. that is like a small, dirty, hardcore show. Because when I moved here, like... <sighs> We we have that to a certain extent, mm-hmm. but I never was I wasn't really ever in that scene until now. Um, yeah, and you know, the smallest, dirtiest show I've ever been to here in town. I was 13 years old, and I went with my father. <laughs> um, my dad is a trooper because we used to go to all kinds of shows. Um, it was in a venue that our Austin listeners are going to hopefully remember called La Zona Rosa. Um, and what it was, was a building that was just put on top of a parking lot. Jeez. It didn't have a floor. It was just like a building that was built on a parking lot. What? Like you could it, in the venue was like, you could see lines still no. on the parking lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the air conditioning sometimes worked. Um, and I saw Buckethead there. Dude, what a legend. <laughs> I was 13 years old in a grungy, yes. gross old venue that like this venue, it, it was so, it was old and it was just weird, but you know, Buckethead played there, you know, he's a guitar God, you know, nobody knows what he looks like, but he's a guitar, <laughs> he's a legend. He played there and I was 13 years old at this show. And I still remember the drive home with my dad. You know, mind you, I'm 13 years old. And my dad goes, I hope they don't drug test me at work. <laughs> Just from like the like, 
environment. Oh. <laughs> we had I thought like you were a saying like your dad like snuck into the bathroom no, no, and did no, no, some PCP no. while he was like supposed to be watching over you. No, we was like the contact <laughs> high from like being in this venue. And it was like it was like one of the defining moments of my teenage years was being in this grungy venue. Dude. And the best part about this venue, two years later, I think it was two years later, at South by Southwest, Prince played there. No. He played a secret show at this venue. What? And there was like a thousand people crammed in this venue to watch Prince play a secret show. Gosh, man. <laughs> And it's just like that's that's why I love this town, man. Like <laughs> I, it's just it's got such character. It's just so cool. Anyway. <laughs> You're talking me into it, man. Jeez, I might need to I might need to relocate, pull a Joe Rogan and uh swing down to Texas. Well, so I guess we should we should probably wrap this up. We do this thing with just about every American band sure. that we ask. Or that we interview, rather. <clears throat> it's a question that's near and dear to my heart. As well as Josh, our colleague. Do beans belong in chili? I knew it was going there, man. Gosh. Well, okay. Here's the thing. Um, I had to consult several different ancient philosophical strands of thought regarding this, this question. So, you know, Plato would say that the bean is, is, is only a shadow of the pure ephemeral being that exists in the heavenly realm. Um, and so to say that like a being belongs in Chile, it, it's kind of like, a, I, I mean, it's absurd, right? Like you can't put the ephemeral in the physical. It, it's like, what is the soul in the body? You know, it, it just, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Conversely, um, you would have mystics like the late Amy Simple McPherson in the 20th century, the founder of the Foursquare denomination. Um, she would say that the bean was actually probably like a relative of the, the fruit from the, the tree of the Garden of Good and Evil. You know, as such, it, it, it could be put in the chili, but it ought not to be put in the chili. Because if it were to be put in the chili, you would probably be tempted by a serpent or or something like that. I, I, I didn't read her book all the way through. So you're saying that if you put beans in chili, you're the devil. I'm saying there's no view from nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> so you're just not... Okay. All right, I'll take that. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like 12 and 1 on this one. Like, I keep losing. <laughs> um, Wait, so what do you think? <laughs> I will die on the hill that beans do not belong in chili. Really? Yeah, man. Dang, man. All right. All right. I'm going to I'm going to buy a round of beers on me and uh I'm I'm going to give you 4 hours to make your case on why beans have, do not belong in chili. I don't have time for that. <laughs> I don't have time for that. Uh it's just this like it's just this fun question we like to ask bands because it it kind of sp it spawned from like a live stream we did months ago uh, where we got to an argument about beans and chili. So we ask all the bands and I would not expect any less of an answer than the one you gave. So thank you for that. My pleasure. So before we wrap up, finish this out. Do you have, you know, shout out your social medias where we can find your music, all that. Yeah, so you can look up my music on Spotify and all major streaming platforms. Um, just look up Heliocentric. I'll pop right up. 
The new album is Ishmael. Yeah, give it a give it a spin if you so desire. I'm increasingly active on Instagram and uh, YouTube. On Instagram, you can look up at Heliocentric Band. And on YouTube, you can search Heliocentric Official. That's my channel name. And uh, yeah, it's everything from long, pensive, uh, verbose conversations about theology and religion and stuff to silly, stupid memes and poop jokes. Uh, it, it's, it's one or the other. There's no, there's no gray area in that category. And that's what I appreciate about your Instagram is it's like these theological discussions and then there's videos, videos about puberty or like taking people's kidneys. (laughs) It's it's very polarizing and I love it. You know, truth be told, I flip a coin every time I upload to Instagram and it's like, all right, all right, all right. What are we doing today? It's one or the other. And that's that's the way to do it, man. Well, thank you so much. This was a blast. I'm sure. Again, I can't stress enough to people to read your paper because it's so good. (laughs) You have it on. Is it what is your is it what's your merch store through? Is it through Bandcamp or through Teespring? Actually, now that I'm thinking about it. So I've got my merch uh, thing in my bio. If you click on my bio on Instagram, this is like 30 steps too many here. Let's, I'm clicking it open now. All right, we go to we go to merch. Yeah, if you look up heliocentric on Teespring, uh, you can get um, my Ishmael the written report, and you can also get these stems if you're an audio engineer. I sell the stems uh, for my song Gabriel um, to mix and master for your own guilty pleasures. So yeah, that's heliocentric on Teespring. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. This was, I can't stress enough how fun this was. Um, Absolute blast, man. Hopefully, you know, once the world is not on fire, you can come to Austin and visit this wonderful town. Um, I have a couch you can stay on. I'll show you around the town. (laughs) That sounds like a dream come true, man. We'll make it awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jared. Thank you, Jared. Talk to you later, man. (laughs) Two Jareds. (laughs) 